Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, and today we are joined by one of the fantastic writers at the Strickland, Arya Chawla, uh, to talk everything Emmanuel quickly. Yeah, we're talking what quickly is already good at, what quickly he can get better at, different skills to focus on this upcoming season, and of course, some expectations for the upcoming season, all next on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Stop. With the five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Huck left. Now fires it. And he's good. And he's fouled. And he's fouled. Anthony for three. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today. And every day we are now available on all platforms. And that includes, you should know this, you might already know it because you're watching us right now on YouTube. Uh, So check us out there. Check us out everywhere. Subscribe, like, comment, review, all that good stuff. But who's talking to you? I'm Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. He's Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest Knicks website out there. And Alex, uh, there, there was a piece on there recently that caught my eye. It was it was by uh, our guy Arya, and he does a deep dive on Emmanuel Quickly's game and and the biomechanics of his game and and the variety of micro skills he's shown competency in and needs to continue to improve on to be a star one day. Uh, it's worth the read because we don't get into everything in this podcast, but we get into a whole lot of it. I will link the article uh, in the description for this podcast, so check it out there. But before you do that, enjoy this conversation we had with Arya on Emmanuel quickly and why he might just be a star one day. All right, guys, as promised, we are joined with the Strickland's newest writer, Arya Chawla, um, who wrote an incredible piece on Emmanuel quickly. One, one, one of the one of the just better basketball articles I've read the last couple of weeks. So Arya, th- thank you for joining us on the show. I, I think the strength of this article is, as, as you're here to talk about that, and in turn, help us preview Emmanuel quickly season um, was just the, the depth you got in terms of like his, his different micro skills and where he was last year and where he could still get better in each and every one of them. So I, I, I think it makes sense for us to just start off with a general overview of Emmanuel Quickly's last season. So I'll, I'll throw it to you this way, because as you noted in the article, it was a tale of two different seasons for him, pre-All-Star break and post-All-Star break. Did last season live up to expectations on Emmanuel quickly for you after what was a fantastic rookie year that exceeded anyone's wildest expectations? Um, I think to start off, the answer would be no. I think uh, before the All-Star break, it was pretty rough. I think it was probably stepped down from his rookie season, which, as you said, shocked everyone. Um, but after the All-Star break, I think the strides that he showed, um, that really was encouraging. And I think um, it was even a step up from his rookie season because he started to develop as a driver and a passer in ways that I didn't even expect after his rookie season. So I think um, it was just like the tale of two different seasons, just like complete opposites to the before and the after all-star break. So after the all-star break for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I I guess to start with, you know, you talked a lot about his shooting in the article and, and I agree. I think that that's one of the things that helps make him special. And, you know, you noted, uh, a lot about his mechanics. So it, there's a great quote from you in the article, which is his body bends and twists like a pool noodle, allowing him to self-organize on the fly. 
I, I've often been, I, I don't know, I guess maybe a little off on my uh, categorization of his shooting. Cause when I read your article and I looked at some of the, some of the mechanical notes that you made about how he gathers, how he loads up and how he executes his shot. It sort of opened my eyes a bit on, on just how he's able to get it off in the space that he does, because my observation on a shot has always been, I think it's a little goofy, like mm-hmm. the way that he goes about it. And that, that is true. Uh, but he does find ways to make space for himself. I mean, what do you think about o- overall his shooting and how that's going to translate uh, this year and if he can I mean the thing that's always been interesting to me mechanically with this shot is how translatable it is to a mid-range shot like into mm-hmm. a just a pull-up midi from like the foul line or whatever do you think that that's something that he could develop do you think it even matters given how prolific he is with this floater like I guess shooting wise what are your thoughts on him to this point in his career and what do you think he needs to improve upon um, I think like outside of the top, top tier of shooters, uh, he's right there with all of them. Um, he's small, obviously six, three, and, um, he shoots from like the side of his head. So it's not a high release per se, but it's just so quick. He gets it off like whenever from deep to, um, and I just said about mid range. Um, did you catch the Pacers game? Uh, yeah. the Pacers. Yeah. So, um, I think he had two mid range shots, uh, two pull up middies from, out of the pick and roll. Um, I definitely think that's something he can add. I don't see any reason why he couldn't, given how quick his releases. Um, obviously, he is like all the numbers and everything. He has the the production from from deep, from like 30 plus, I think. He was shot some of the most threes. Um, and then out of the pick and roll, um, I think he also shoots off movement well, especially with how he self-organizes off movement. Um, he gets it off really fast, obviously. So I really don't think there are many limits to his shooting. Um, don't think he'll get to the very top tier, the Steph Curry's or even like the Desmond Bain tier. But right below that, I think he's with the best. Yeah, you, you just got into it a little bit. But what what separates him from a mechanical perspective is I think before reading your article, I kind of I mean, just just from watching it, basically every game he's played in the last two years, as, as I'm sure anyone can. Um, you could see that that there are special elements to a shooter, but until you put it down on paper, it was it was kind of like a eureka moment for me where I was going through. I was like, oh yeah, like he does do that, and like wow, like his ability to like not not only get a quick release, but his ability to like shoot when he's on the run, whether it's like off the catch or off the dribble, and like use momentum like to like accentuate his own mechanics. Like it's it's all very interesting, but you 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 could break it down better than I ever could. Um, I think it all kind of stems from his flexibility. Um, the way he can bend his body to generate angles to get power. I think that's why I can shoot on the run so well. Like um, mid stride, he can just propel himself up, get to an angle where he can push himself up. And that brings the power up from his base. And I think that's just really what it is, the flexibility. I think that's the number one thing with Emmanuel quickly outside of his touch. Those are the two things I look at. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I, I think that he's really starting to, to prove himself as – a versatile scorer. I think one of the main things, and we talk about this all the time on our show that he's going to have to continue to work on is his ability to get inside, uh, draw fouls, you know, get to the free throw line. And then of course, once he gets there, there's no issues at all. He's been one of the best free throw shooters in the league since the second he touched an NBA court. Um, You had an interesting stat that you pulled, which was a percentage of shots that quickly was fouled on 
jumped from the 54th percentile to the 99th percentile of combo guards per cleaning the glass. Yeah, to, to be clear, I, I forgot to put it in there, but that's pre-All-Star break versus post-All-Star break. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so a good stat there. And and then his, his efficiency at the rim climbed to the 33rd percent, from the 33rd percentile to the 83rd percentile, again, pre- to post-All-Star break. So, uh, Arya, ha- what do you see as far as quickly how he developed in that regard last year? as far as getting to the rim, finishing at the rim, uh, and how important do you think that is to sort of completing his game here? Uh, in addition to, I, I think he does a pretty good job of this already, but once he gets there and once he starts establishing that ability to get to the rim and finish at the rim and all that stuff, then, uh, you know, developing his ability to to always be able to make that kick out to guys at certain moments too, if he doesn't think he's going to be getting a foul. Mm-hmm. So I think last year it was mainly the process that um, allowed him to get deep, get to the rim later on in the season. Um, he just had more of an emphasis to get all the way to the rim instead of stopping short for a floater. Um, so he did improve as a finisher, but it was on relatively low volume. I don't think that um, it was all that impactful over that I think it was a 23-game sample size. Um, it was a couple shots per game. Um, I don't think he's a really good finisher at all right now. But um, I think the most important thing is getting deep in the paint. It's just getting there. You know, um, he'll get to the he'll get to the line. He's really good at drawing fouls. I think he does a little too much, to be fair. But um, just getting there, making the defense shift, because I do think he's a really good reactive passer once the defense does rotate to help on his drives. So I just think getting there, I think that's the next step, just emphasizing getting there as much as he possibly can to keep the defense moving. And I think that'll just get him more minutes, get him more touches, and allow him to really flourish into the point guard that for the Knicks that he can be, like the star I think that he can be. Are we right back in with Aria talking about some playmaking for Emmanuel quickly, among other things that IQ is good at or can get better at. But I just have to let you guys know, today's show is brought to you by Rocket Money. Let me tell you, the other day I tried to cancel my Amazon Prime subscription. It took me, I kid you not, four different tries. Like, how does it take three hours to deliver, I don't know, my cat food, but to cancel my subscription, I also have to cancel plans for the next several hours. But it's not just me. 80% of people have subscriptions they forgot about. That's why I love using Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill. Are you wasting money on subscriptions? 80% of people have subscriptions they forgot about, maybe for you. It's an unused Amazon Prime account or Hulu account that never gets streamed. And that's where Rocket Money comes in. The app shows you all of your subscriptions in one place and cancels what you don't want for you. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't know you were paying for. And you may even find you've been double charged for a subscription. To cancel a subscription, all you have to do is press cancel and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. On top of that, they will renegotiate your bills for you. I had them renegotiate my internet bill. And it saved me like $350 for this year. It's pretty good stuff. I, you can't really, well, I was going to say you can't put a price on that, but you can. $350 of savings for minimal effort. You just let Rocket Money handle it for you. So cancel unnecessary subscriptions with Rocket Money today. Go to rocketmoney.com slash locked on. Seriously, it could save you hundreds per year, just like it did for me. That's rocketmoney.com slash locked on. 
Yeah, and I think you you noted wisely that I mean the the one variable in that equation that was out of his control was was the personnel he was on the floor with, and at sometimes I mean like pretty much always playing with a rim bound center, sometimes playing with uh, two players who preferred to be in the paint, depending on how Obi Toppin was feeling on that particular day and how much the defense was feeling like respecting him. But you, you look at how that bench unit is shaping up this year. Uh, Derek Rose, who's someone you have to obviously respect from behind the arc, either Quentin Grimes or Evan Fournier, two of the best shooters on planet earth. Obi Toppin, who's shot all of a sudden is looking really, really good. And Isaiah Hardenstein, who the shot might come and go with, but I think once he establishes it a little bit more centers will at least have to stay within a couple of feet of him. And all of a sudden you're looking at a, a completely different ecosystem in which Emmanuel quickly is attacking the basket. And the other thing you noted in the article, and, and this is, true in and, and i'll let you get into detail on this in, in a variety of ways on his driving but core strength really impacts his ability not only to finish at the rim but also to just stay on his mark getting all the way to the basket and not kind of get pushed off his trajectory going the rim early and i know certainly in that first preseason game he drove a little bit less the second one against the pacers um but against the pistons he was seeking out contact and and, and barreling into chests with with kind of reckless abandon. And that was a joy to see for someone who, um, at least inside the paint, was pretty much allergic to contact as a rookie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I noticed that completely. He had a couple of drives, um, a couple of times drove into Jalen Duran. Yeah. Um, straight into him, bounced off his chest, you know, because Jalen Duran's ginormous. But um, it's really nice to see him seek out contact because that's something he really didn't do much at all last year. Um, he's still not strong enough to go through guys like Jalen Duran, but um, I don't know if I posted this to my Twitter, but um, so he drove at Jalen Duran twice, just at his chest. He bounced off both times, but then later on um, he drove at him and then just stopped a little bit. He decelerated before he got all the way to the rim and hit a Euro floater. Um, I think that's really important for him. I talked about in my article, the slow finishes, mixing them in and sort of weaponizing contact with his change of pace to get finishing angles. Cause he isn't always, he's never going to be the strongest guy. I don't think he'll be able to generate consistent looks at the rim by using strength most of the time, but if he mixes it in with his other physical tools and then uses his touch to finish, I think he could be, he could be pretty good from there. If you were sort of, sort of a little different from what we've been talking about, mostly mechanical stuff so far, but if you were going to cast him, into the role that like let's say that you're your tibs except for adaptable and not an old fart um no just kidding uh but let's say it's your tibs and, and you get to choose where emmanuel quickly slots in this year and and plan out his spot for him i think we could say obviously at this point if he's going to start the only spot at this point that he could start would be at the two guard which I think that Gavin and I have talked about recently uh, uh, or at least have talked about in the past of like, I'd love if that was an option. Uh, I don't know that it is. So we don't, you know, look at it too much, but you know, would you slot him in at that starting two guard? Would you want him running occasional two guard with Brunson and that, but mostly kind of focusing his efforts on running things off the bench. I mean, given the situation that he's in on the Knicks, if you had the power to choose how to make it happen, how would you plan out his his season this year to best utilize what he can bring to the Knicks? Um, I'd start him, yeah. Um, so I'd start him next to Brunson and then let him run the bench units as well. Um, 
because I think the special thing with Quickly is that he can shift in between playing off other creators and creating for himself and the team. So, yeah, I would have him start at the two. Um, on defense, I'd have him take the bigger two guards and let Brunson stay on the smallest guy. Um, he's going to get overpowered sometimes. Sometimes he's not going to be able to get through screens. But I think he has the length to be passable on these bigger two guards. Um, I don't think it's a disaster at all. But then offense, he can shift between being the creator with Brunson. I think you can get some interesting two-man actions with those two. Um, mix in Randall a bit with his connecting skills. Um, I think you get some really interesting things going if you had a creative offensive coach there. But um, that's not the case. So don't know how that's going to work out. I mean, I guess to your point about him being effective on and off the ball, there was coming out of his rookie year, obviously, I think a lot of fair debate about whether or not he was a point guard in the NBA. And coming out of his second year, I think there was a lot of disingenuous debate about whether or not he's a point guard in the NBA or at least can play as a point guard in the NBA because I think that was that was proven beyond a doubt in the second half of this year. I mean, you, you, you described it just in terms of his ability to – get into the lane and get separation and the reads that became available to him because of that. Um, whereas in his rookie year, he just wasn't kind of generating those rotations that he did his second year. But if you want to just isolate his passing as a skill, what did you see from him, especially towards the second half of last year where he got more point guard minutes and where can he still get better? Um, so I said this before, I think he's a really good reactive passer. I think that um, on his drives all the way to the end, he's surveying all four other defenders as the one that's on him. Um, look at their rotations and whatnot. Um, and then like at the last minute, he can audible his passes. He can change his pass. If he's going for the corner, he can change that if the defender slides over and hit the opposite wing. I think he's really good at that. He has all the deliveries. I think his flexibility comes in again where he can just bend and twist to find passing windows to get through. Um, but I don't think he's making the highest level reads yet. Um, like the proactive reads I talked about, I don't think he's moving defenders, shifting them to get his teammates open spot, open shots. He's more finding the open shots instead of creating them with his passing. I think that's the next step. And I don't see why he couldn't take that step. We've seen a couple flashes, nothing too crazy, but I think it's very well in the realm of possibility that he could take that step in the coming years. If you're going to lay out a roadmap for quickly this year, would that be the thing that you would think would be the the main thing for him to do to to really like elevate himself to the next level? Would that be working on those those sort of moves and and I guess like ability to to draw defenders and create things uh, for his teammates more and mm -hmm. and then be able to read those situations? Yeah, I think the two things. Um are getting deep in the paint, just emphasizing that, and then making the proactive reads and moving defenders with his passing rather than just dishing to the open guy. Um, to do that, I would just use him as in the pick and roll as much as I can. Um, I'm not a mastermind of using um, X's and O's to develop players, um, but I think that getting him in situations where he can uh, get in the pick and roll and then read not only the big defender, but also rotate the help defenders rotating in. I think that's just the clearest pathway to him continuing to develop this area. And yeah, I think it's, those are the two biggest things that he needs to do to become a star. I, I, I guess to the 
point of, of, of what you said and what we've talked about so far. I mean, part of the equation with him is that off-ball ability. And I, I think, honestly, like if, he, if he's going to be on this team long-term, like that might be the aspect of his game that gets more use given the acquisition of Jalen Brunson. Because, I mean, at least as of today, we're looking at four years of Emmanuel quickly not being the starting point guard on this team. And who knows, maybe there's a world where quickly overtakes Brunson and is, is sort of the clear-cut better player. And, and you're kind of saying, all right, Jalen, you're you're going back to how you used to play with Luca, like, it, like it's IQ's ball, it's IQ's team, it's IQ's game. But especially with R.J. Barrett also in there, there's going to be very few minutes, I think, may, maybe as little, like even at his peak, as, as 10 a game, where IQ is the primary ball handler offensively. Uh, what, what do you see from him in, in terms of his – potential off the ball and just to to run around screens and catch and shoot and, and just sort of function as, as more of a secondary creator um on the offense all right guys we'll be back one final time with aria to talk about emmanuel quickly sealing the player that he could eventually become but if you want to bet on something a little bit more tangible there's only one place to do it it's betonline.net they are your number one source for football betting info this season you can find all the latest player developments team matchups news and podcast in-depth articles and analysis on Every game you can find. And as always, Bet Online remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information with live betting and up to the minute scores for every single sport out there. It's the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. And I know I am going there to check on the NBA, Alex. That, that's where I'm heading on Wednesday when the New York Knicks play the Memphis Grizzlies. The Grizzlies come into the game as six and a half point favorites. Man, oh man, does that line. Look juicy to me. They don't know what's coming to them with Jaron Jackson Jr. out and the Grizzlies trading away a lot of their depth this summer. The Knicks, when Jalen Brunson's debut, I think come in and have a very close loss and uh, make you some money doing so. So there's only one conclusion. Head to betonline.net today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, it's where the game starts. I think what's so nice about this hypothetical backcourt of Emmanuel Quickly and Jalen Brunson is that both of them can shift between playing on the ball and off the ball. Like Jalen Brunson, some people don't realize he's very good without the ball. Um, he's really good at the play finisher. And I think Emmanuel quickly, he has a movement shooting. He has all that. And then he has a super quick first step off the catch. Um, and then he can make those connective passes in between. Hopefully they get better, but you can still get the linking passes down right now. Um, so I think that, yeah, um, I would, I think he would be really good in an off ball role. I think he'd be better in an on-ball role. I think that's where his ceiling is at. But if needed, if he if his passing and his driving never really pan out, I think he can really be an impactful guy in this two-guard role playing as an off-ball guy. But I think that his defense would really have to take a step up if he's going to be this off-ball guy next to Jalen Brunson. Because if he's really just this off-ball guy, there's other options, and they may be better defenders. So then you might, have, you might choose to go that path instead of going with Emmanuel quickly there next to Brunson. Yeah, I think we talk about that a lot on on this show, which you were just saying about, you know, guys that are good with or without the ball. Like, in a weird way, the the, the strange development circumstances that, like, Quickly and R.J. Barrett and Jalen Brunson had to go through to get to this point in their careers have been pretty beneficial, I think, in many ways. Like, Brunson really, you know, he had to play off Luka Doncic, who's, like, maybe – uh, deservedly so one of the most like heliocentric guys in the NBA that like should have the ball in his hands pretty much all the time. Cause he just makes stuff happen constantly. Um, you know, so he had to learn like, all right, how do I play with the ball? But how do I also make myself useful when Luca has the ball? Because he's going to have the ball a lot. And likewise, you know, RJ kind of had to go through that with Julius Randall uh, over the last few years as well. 
And same with Emmanuel quickly with Julius Randle or Derek Rose or whoever it was that he happened to be playing with. And I think all three of those guys now developed a really, uh, really versatile skill set to where if all three of them were sharing the court together on offense, I think it would be pretty potent because you can't, you can't let one of them have the ball in their hands because they could potentially break you down. But you also can't just like throw your, you know, worst defender at the one, two or three on any one of them and be like, all right, well, if they're not going to have the ball in their hands, then we know that we can just strand this guy on them and not much is going to happen. Like it would be sort of, sort of like what, uh, what the, the Hawks did to the Knicks in the playoffs a couple of years ago where they were like, well, we know that Reggie Bullock, if he gets the ball, can't put it on the floor, or do anything. So we'll just throw Trey young on him and he could just bother the ball. But like, he knows that Bullock can't dribble. There's, no guys really like that on the Knicks anymore mm-hmm. uh, from the one to three spots because pretty much all the guys that they employ now can, I mean, Evan Fournier is included with this, um, you know, Reddish and Grimes and all these guys all have the ability to put the ball on the floor. Uh, so I, I, I agree with you. I think that that's, I think that quickly will always have a role just based off of that, even if the other things don't come around. The other thing that you just mentioned though is his defense. And I'm curious because this, this is kind of interesting, right? Like we're, we were talking about this all summer with regards to Donovan Mitchell too, where, you know, obviously that's not going to happen now because he's a Cleveland Cavalier, but had that happened, you know, there's talk about like, well, if you have Brunson and Mitchell as your starting backcourt, which I guess now the Cavs will kind of have to deal with, with Garland and Mitchell and the Knicks would have to deal with, with Brunson and quickly if they would decide to go that route is like, can these guys be versatile enough to, guard not just a two guard but also i mean i think quickly can very safely guard ones but like can he make that that quick switch onto a three if he has to would he get just completely obliterated there i'm kind of curious where you see his defensive potential going because i always see a guy that he uses his length really well i think he does a good job of staying in front of guys and has fairly quick hands he plays passing lanes pretty well but there are moments like there are with lots of players around his size where I'm like, I just don't know if he's big enough to pull this off. Like if he was, if he had to guard like Devin Booker or something for the majority of a game or Zach Levine, who's, you know, a a decent enough bit bigger than him or, you know, any of these other like sort of bigger two guards out there. I, I wonder how much he would struggle with that assignment. So what's, what do you think that the possible level of defense would be for him to be able to be like a starting two guard next to uh, a Jalen Brunson. And do you think that he could reasonably get there? Like um, this year? I think it's all about the strength. Mm. Um, Cause like when I was um, preparing for my piece, I was watching a lot of games at the end of the season and he's just getting obliterated by guys like Thomas Sedaransky and um, Ignace on the magic. Um, There's a lot of guys just going straight at his chest, moving him, getting easy buckets um, so I really think that is the biggest thing, 100%. Get stronger, core strength, chest strength, all that. Um, so you aren't just getting moved anytime anybody goes at your chest. Um, and the other thing I think is screen navigation, too. That's also with strength. Um, he's good at bending and twisting to get around the screens. He's really lengthy. So he's good rear view contests and whatnot. But when a good screen makes contact, he can die on them a lot. Um, yeah, the strength really needs to go up. Um, and once that strength is up, I mean, he's not small with his wingspan. He can he can contest shots. He can 
He's quick laterally. He can stay in front of guys. Um, he should be able to get screen, get around screens consistently once that strength is up. Um, so I think it's all just depending on how strong he gets. Um, and if he gets that certain threshold of strength, I think he could be a fine guy to put on twos. Um, I don't think he's ever going to be locking them up or anything, but I don't think that's really that really should be expected out of him. Um, but I think he can get to a passable level though, to answer your question. Yeah. I guess the, at least on my end, like the logical concluding question is like, what is, what does all this add up to? What is the ceiling there? I, I know in your article, you noted um, a couple of other guys who in either their second or third year made big leaps, like whether it was jo- Jordan Poole, Anthony Simons, Tyrese Maxey, Darius Garland. And again, you, you look at the numbers post all-star break. He was at 27 and a half minutes per game, 16 points, five boards, five assists, um, was all the way up to 49% from two, 38% from three. Um, He was 11th in the entire NBA last year. And and keep in mind, this is with an abbreviated role for the first 60 games of the season. He he was 11th in fourth quarter points. Um, He, amongst 272 players, he saw at least 1,000 minutes last year. His on-off differential was ninth in the whole league. Maybe that's uh, at at least partially an indicator of how bad the next point card situation was last year outside of him, but I, I digress. All that is to say there there are indicators, I mean, just like we see with Obi Toppin, that all right, there is a, a star player here on the offensive end of the floor. Dallas Amico, uh, another Strickland writer whose opinion we respect a lot. Like when when we did our Knicks player rankings, he had Emmanuel quickly first in terms of future assets ahead of RJ Barrett. And I, I don't I, I think I agreed with him at the time. I don't think that's a crazy take at all. Um all that is to say, like, and, and I think your article does a good job of highlighting this. There is a star ceiling here. Does that fall somewhere short of where some of the higher end guys on that list rank? Like I would maybe say like Maxie and Garland and like more similar to like what you'd see from like a pool or Simons. Like, like where do you put him on that spectrum and, and, and where do you kind of put him in the league as a whole? If he gets the ball, gets the time, gets the responsibility, gets the opportunity to be that guy. Um, I think he can get all the way there in terms of scoring, um, in terms of being consistent, almost 25 points per game efficient score um the passing is where i have some questions i think he's a very good passer i think he can continue to become a very good passer um i don't think he's ever going to reach level of current garland um, i think Poole's also definitely ahead of him as a passer um but i don't think that's you really need garland level passing from him or pool level passing um i think just getting the scoring guard i think that's the next step um getting the scoring guard who can pass as well instead of being just the point guard uh, as the next step, at least. Um, but further down the road, I could see that. Um, I definitely think all the tools are there for him to be a future all-star. Um, but like as I've said multiple times, I think the strength is the biggest thing. Um, continuing to get deep on his drives, um, that's the biggest thing for his offense. And I think if he does that, and I mean like consistently emphasizes getting deep into the paint, he could be an all-star as soon as like next year. I don't, or at least that level of play. I don't know if he'll make it. If you know what I mean. If you were a betting man, do you think that he has enough gravitas to and enough of a leap in him this year to supplant someone on the Knicks or take like forcibly take minutes from somebody? I I question if he's going to be able to do it with Tibbs because. Mm-hmm. We're literally watching Obi Toppin score like 24 points in 20 minutes and still having debates about like, well, can he secure like 20 minutes a game for himself mm-hmm. uh, under Tibbs? Because that's just like, 
what this experience is like with this team, but I don't know. Can you see a world where he where he would just forcibly snatch enough minutes from say like I guess the the people he'd have to take minutes off of would be a small degree Brunson, but like definitely Derrick Rose, mm-hmm. definitely like Evan Fournier, and probably would have to kind of cannibalize one of his fellow young guys' minutes and Quentin Grimes a little mm-hmm. bit too. But do you see any world where you think that he could he could forcibly take like 27 to 30 minutes per game this year somehow i mean i definitely hope so um i think like getting um off of just the specific impact he has on the game the way he plays is so electrifying and um as you mentioned he was like 11th and fourth quarter scoring i think um if he keeps doing that um playing that electrifying player um in the fourth he can really be at the face of the knicks this season i think that's definitely um definitely a possibility and if that happens i think he could just the tips could just be pressured into putting him into that role because i certainly think he deserves it i would give him those minutes right now maybe i'm too high on him but yeah to answer your question yes 100 percent, i can definitely see that happening all right man uh thank you so much for the time but before we let you go i i, I know you you also mentioned a Substack. can you tell people like everywhere they can find your work um yeah you can follow me on twitter um it's linked right here um at hl's um, and yeah, I'll be posting my articles on, wrote on, I write on Substack on there. I got one coming up shortly. So follow me on there. You'll probably see it. And yeah, I also write for the Strickland. That's all I got going on right now, but expect more soon. Hoping for more. Uh, this is again, a fantastic read. Um, if, if you missed the article, um, when it came out, uh, we will link it in the description of this episode to so just scroll down. You'll find it there. You'll enjoy it there. It, it, it's a great read in it. For, for those of you who are like me and have been wowed by Emmanuel quickly for years and said, how exactly is he doing this? Uh, all the answers to your question are in this great article on, on the greatest Knicks website out there, the Strickland. Uh, but that is it for this one. Until next time, uh, we will talk to you soon on Locked on Knicks.